0: prepared for us. Take your Bibles and turn to John 17. John 17. David McCaslin of the Daily Bread shared this little story. A friend of mine told me that the obstacle course in Air Force basic training changed his life. On the first attempt, he completed the course far ahead of everyone else, but he was immediately confronted by his drill sergeant, who demanded, where are all your buddies? Back there, sir, he replied, I won. The sergeant barked, the obstacle course isn't about coming in first. It's about finishing. Everybody finishes or nobody wins. Go back and run it again. And this time, help the guys you are str- who are struggling along the way. Well, Jesus is the perfect example of one who went before us. He's the author and finisher of our faith. But he always demonstrated care and concern for his own. And he does that today as well. You see this very, very clearly in our passage for today. Verses 6 to 19 of John 17. So I want you to follow along as I read this passage of Scripture. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. And once again, may God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. You know, verse 6 here really is a transition from Jesus praying for Himself to be glorified that He might glorify the Father. We saw that in verses 1 to 5. And now He's interceding for the disciples as we just read there in verses 6 to 19. So because they belonged to Jesus, he was genuinely concerned for them. And he lifted up their spiritual welfare before the Father. I love what it says there in verses 9 and 10. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. What he's saying there is twofold. Number one, he's expressing his own deity. Father, what's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. And I have been glorified in these men. You gave me the word. You gave uh, uh, me the message of salvation. I delivered that to them. And they believed in me. They believed who I was. And they received me. And now they belong to me. And I care about them. And here he's spiritually lifting up these men for whom he's concerned. But you know, beloved, though this section of Scripture is about the disciples, what Jesus prayed for them is certainly for believers today who live in the world but are not of it. Again, Hebrews 7.25 I've mentioned this passage a number of times where it says there by the author, He, speaking of Jesus, always lives to make intercession for us. That same truth is also captured in Romans 8 in verse 34. Isn't that wonderful to know that Jesus not only interceded for the disciples as we just got done reading, but He's interceding for us always. Wow, no matter what goes on in any given day, I have that assurance and that should encourage your heart. So what did the Lord focus on concerning these men that should be a great blessing to us? What do we see here in this passage? Well, we have been considering three components, three components of the believer's relationship to Christ. Last week we looked at the first one alone. Jesus proclaimed the disciples salvation. In this prayer, he was acknowledging to the Father what had spiritually and gloriously taken place for and in these men. We saw that there in verses 6 to 10 last week. They heard him claim to the Father that they had been given to the Son, that they had been chosen. That they had true faith and that they had kept God's word. All by grace. And so because they were in earshot of this prayer and hearing these things, it had to encourage him. I mean, even as you think about it, Jesus here proclaiming their salvation, does it encourage your heart as well? Because what they experience is what you've experienced. You've been chosen. You've been given by the Father to the Son. You have true faith. You keep God's word, just as the disciples. And so you have salvation just as they do. And in fact, what Jesus claims here is foundational for the rest of the prayer here. And so therefore, he continued to intercede for them according to the will of the Father. And so second, I want you to look with me at verses 11 to 15 once again. He says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. What other component here do you notice regarding The disciples' relationship to Christ. What is Jesus emphasizing as He prays to the Father? It is simply this. Jesus petitioned for their security. Yes, He starts out by proclaiming their salvation, but now He's petitioning for their security, their eternal security. As Jesus pointed out there in verse 14, He had given the disciples the word, the message of salvation. And they received it. We saw that there very clearly in verse 8. And So therefore, the world hated them because they were no longer a part of the world. Jesus didn't say this just once. He said it twice, both in verse 14 and again in verse 16. They are no longer of the world. And so because they remained in the world, they were going to be persecuted. No ands, ifs, about it. Just like Jesus As they share the message of salvation which they had received. Now Jesus had talked to them about this earlier in the evening. Go back with me, if you would, to John 15. I just want us to see this once again. What he had told them earlier. Chapter 15, verses 18 to 21. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know the one who sent me. And so Jesus here is requesting that the Father would keep them in His name. That is according to His holy character and power. He says that there in verses 11 and 15. I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. And then he says it again in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And then also there in verse 12, Jesus himself even said that while he was with them, he was keeping them and guarded them. So what he was petitioning for was their protection and their preservation spiritually. Though they would be Persecuted and physically harmed? Oh yes. He wanted them to endure. To remain faithful to their God. And not fall away to Satan and the world system. And you want to know something? That request would be honored. It would. Why? Because they belonged to God. (laughs) That's why it would be honored. And therefore, they would remain true to the end. Nothing could separate them from the love of God. (laughs) That's what Paul says, right? In Romans 8. How about what Jesus said earlier in John chapter 10? No one can pluck them out of the Father's hand. Once we are saved, we are always saved. Yes. And so... When Jesus here is praying for them to be kept, He's praying for their security and it would be honored. Listen to these words from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. And remember, Peter was the one who was there that night. And he heard this prayer. And when we come to 1 Peter 1, he's praying for those who have been chosen before the foundation of the world. And this is what he says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. I love this section of Scripture that really is an introduction to true faith that is described in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at this. We need to see this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. The writer says this, But remember... The former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who are so treated. Think about that. He goes on, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better position and a lasting one. Just those verses right there reveal how much we need to grow in our own faith. (laughs) But this is what he's identifying with regards to these readers concerning the faith that they had. It was evidenced. Therefore, he says in verse 35, Do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he was coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But notice what it says in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And then you go on into chapter 11. You've got these great heroes of the faith. Did some of them fail? Yeah, they did. They did fail. But because they had true faith, the characteristic of their life was one of endurance. Though they faltered along the way. They repented. And they got back on track. See, that's the evidence of true saving faith. A great illustration of all this is Peter himself. Okay? I really want us to see this. Turn with me over to Luke 22 if you would. Luke 22. I want to read verses 31 to 34. Luke 22. Beginning with verse 31. Simon, Simon. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. You see, though he sinned in denying his Lord, what happened? He later repented and he was restored. The end of the story comes in John 21 where we see that not only with John, I mean with, with Peter, but with the rest of the disciples as well who fled Jesus that very night. They were just as guilty, even though they did not del- deny the Lord with their tongue. But because Peter was a true believer who had true faith, though he faltered in that moment, he repented and was restored. That is the characteristic of true believers. That's true saving faith. But this was not the case for Judas, was it? Uh-uh. In fact, look back with me at 1712 again of John. 1712. Jesus says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Judas was a son of destruction, having not been given by the father to the son. Yes, that's true. Because what does it say back in John six thirty seven? What did Jesus say? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And him who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Truly in Judas's heart, he had never come to the Lord Jesus. Oh yeah, he followed around with the rest of the men, but he did not have true faith. Because he was not given by the Father to the Son. That's what the scriptures tell us. And so we embrace that. He did not have eternal life. He did not have true faith. And so therefore, eventually, he apostatized. In fact, look with me back at 13.18. Jesus spoke about this earlier. John 13 and verse 18. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the... Scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. He's speaking about Judas there. And he's quoting from Psalm 41 in verse 9. Where David there speaks about a friend betraying him. But it points forward to what Judas would do. And so we need to hear what Peter said in Acts 1, 15 and 16 after he heard these words of Jesus here in John chapter 17. It says, At this time Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, this would have been close to the day of Pentecost, a gathering of about 120 persons, and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He arrested Jesus because he didn't have true faith in his heart. He was a son of destruction, a son of perdition. And so this morning, aren't you thankful for God's grace to you and His keeping power? Oh, come on. We're believers sitting here. Aren't you thankful for God's grace to you and His keeping power? Amen. You should be. You should be rejoicing in that. He chose you before the foundation of the world. And in the providence of time, He called you to Himself. He justified you. And one day He's going to glorify you. You are kept. you eternally secure. You can't lose that. Oh, how wonderful this is. Let us not forget it. And the purpose of God's keeping power as expressed by Jesus in this passage is actually twofold. Look with me at verse 11. He says... I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. What is he talking about there? Simply that we are sharers together in eternal life through the Godhead. Earlier Jesus said in John 10, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He's talking about eternal life. And we have received that through God the Father, God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit. And so through the keeping power of God, you know the deep riches of eternal life, which really begins at the moment of our salvation. It sure does. And then out of this, there is another purpose that's expressed by Jesus. Notice verse 13. He says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Fullness of joy. That's the other purpose. For this keeping power, there is great joy in knowing that you are kept by God. Amen? There is. There's great joy. I think I read this story uh, months ago with regards to something else. But it's appropriate here. In 1937, the great Golden Gate Bridge was completed. It cost $77 million. It was built in two stages, the first slowly and the second rapidly. In the first stage, 23 men fell to their death and the work grounded to a halt because fear paralyzed the workmen as they helplessly watched their companions plummeting from the structure to the water below. Finally, an ingenious person thought, there needs to be a net. So they put together for $100,000 the largest net ever built and hung that net beneath the workmen. When phase two began, ten were saved who fell into that net. The work proceeded 25% faster until the job was done. Yeah, I can understand that. There was a sense of security. And beloved, the same is true for us spiritually. When we know that we are Secure in Christ? I mean, th- there's a little bit of a bounce in our step. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is there. And we joy our Christian life. And though we falter along the way, we know that we haven't lost our salvation because we're kept in Christ. Well, beloved, like the disciples, you are secure in Christ. And one day you will be glorified. Romans 8.30 And so your God is in the business of watching over you, protecting and preserving you until he returns. He is. That's what he's doing. In fact, the Apostle John, years later, says this in 1 John 5.18. We know that no one who is born of God sins. In other words, <laughs> their life isn't a pattern of sin. That's not what they're characterized by. And he goes on to say, but he who is begotten of God, speaking about Christ, keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. How about that familiar verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13? There's no temptation or trial taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is what? Faithful. Yeah, he's faithful. Who will not allow you to suffer beyond what you are able But will with the trial, temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God goes with us through it. And he keeps us. Protects us. And we do not lose our salvation. Even though we may falter when those trials come. Because we know him. We are secure. And so trust him through persecution and hard times. They're coming. If they're not already there for you. Yes. Yes. So when you falter, repent. Keep on keeping on by the grace and power of God. This is his will. And really, it's the only way to know unity within the body as we enjoy our eternal life together and know fullness of joy. Jesus petitioned here for their security. And they were in earshot of this prayer. They heard what he was praying about and it must have encouraged them. But there's another component of the believer's relationship to Christ for which he prayed. And I want you to see this in verses 16 to 19. Follow along as he continues. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes, sanctify myself. I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. What did Jesus emphasize here in those verses? It's pretty clear, isn't it? He prayed for the disciples, what? Sanctification. Yeah, there's sanctification. Three times in these verses, Jesus used the term sanctify. It simply means to set apart. That is to dedicate or consecrate. He even used it of himself there in verse 19 when he said, I sanctify myself. What did he mean? He was saying, I dedicate myself and particularly to the Father's will and the work of the cross in order that his followers (laughs) might be set apart from sin unto God because of his work, him being faithful to that, sanctified, dedicated to that, Therefore, we are able to be set apart from sin unto God, sanctified. Moments earlier here, Jesus had petitioned the Father for the disciples' protection from evil and the evil one. And now he is praying for their inward purification. And that would happen. How? How would that happen? By the truth of God's word. Isn't that what it says there in verse 17 and verse 19? Sanctify them how? In the truth. Your word is truth. Pretty clear. Again, verse 19. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Set apart unto God's word. These men had been initially cleansed. They had been saved through the word. We saw that there in verse 8. We see it again in verse 14. In fact, Jesus even told them this directly in chapter 15 and verse 3. Judas was not present. What does it say there? You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. They were initially cleansed. They were believers. They were saved. That's what he's telling them there. But here he's beseeching the Father for their continual cleansing as illustrated earlier in the evening by what? Do you remember? How was this illustrated earlier? Back in chapter 13 when he watched the disciples' feet. There's two lessons to learn from that. Serving Christ is serving others. Okay, that's one lesson. The other one is cleansing, spiritual cleansing, ongoing cleansing for those who are believers. Go back with me to chapter 13. We need to see this. Chapter 13, beginning with verse 5. John 13, verse 5. Then he, that is Jesus, poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you. Are clean. Yeah, these men needed spiritual cleansing along the way. And so he was teaching that through that illustration. You see, Jesus' desire was for the disciples to be grounded and growing in the truth. Living holy lives so that they might be a faithful witness, a glorious testimony to the world which Jesus was sending them to. In fact, if you look back at verses 17 and 18, they actually go together. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Why? As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. Okay? They had received the message of salvation. They were cleansed. They were saved. And now they were going out into the world. And the world needed to see and hear that gospel message, through their lives. This sort of reminds me of what God said to Joshua. Remember? When Moses had died, Joshua is going to take over. Do you remember what God said to Joshua in that first chapter? It's my it's my life verse. This book of the law... Shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Remember what Paul said to Timothy? In 2nd Timothy, we have Paul's swan song. He's about ready to die. And what he emphasizes in 2nd Timothy is the word. And as you come to 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, he says this to Timothy, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And, ju- and, and just as it was true of these men, it's true of us today, right? I mean, Psalm 1, How blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful, but what? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Today, we were reading from Psalm 119, which is all about the word of God. Verse 9, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. How about verse 11? Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against God. Now, that's the Old Testament. How about the New Testament? 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so God's word is not only sufficient to save us, okay? Romans 1, 16, the power of the gospel. But it is sufficient to sanctify us as Jesus himself here indicated and interceded for the disciples. And you want to know something? I am going to come back to this whole subject a little bit later, probably in a few weeks. I know I've preached on it before, but here recently the elders asked me to address it again. You see, there's a discrepancy even in our evangelical world over the sufficiency of Scripture. You might say, really? Yeah, there sure is. You know, If I were to ask you, do you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, I think every one of you would say, oh, yes, absolutely I do. But then as I apply Scripture to your heart, maybe confront you about something, you go, oh, yeah, but. Well, yeah, but. In that moment, practically speaking, you're denying the sufficiency of Scripture. You really are. In fact, just this past week, I was talking with a pastor friend and uh we were having a good conversation. He's retired, and I can't remember the whole depth of our discussion, but I had mentioned uh, how I believed in the sufficiency of Scripture, and uh, that even in situations where someone might be sick or have some disease, if they fail the Lord, if they sin, that's a spiritual matter, and God's Word is sufficient to deal with it. And he said, I have to disagree with you. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, doesn't the Bible say this? (laughs) And he said, well, yeah, that is true. I mean, we have uh, sin in our members because we have our old nature. I said, that's exactly right. We have sin in our members and it's going to come out. And what is sufficient to deal with it? What is sufficient to deal with it? Scripture is. You bet it is. Because God's word says it is. It's not, yeah, but. It's true. It's true. And just as true as God's word is for our salvation, none of us would deny that it isn't sufficient. <laughs> well, it's sufficient for our Christian walk as well. And so, folks, be in prayer for that. Okay, because this is such an important issue in our world today, even among Christians. I'm thankful that we are well taught here. We've heard the word, we've heard these things, but it's easy for us to forget. And then we're in those moments, we seem to argue with God and His word. Don't do that. Let the word of God stand for what it says. And by faith, live it out, because you are a true Christian, kept by the power of God. Yeah. Well, I appreciate what John Brown said in his expository discourses on 1 Peter. Listen to this. He says, holiness. And by the way, I said this in the first service. The word holiness is another word for sanctification. The Greek word there is hagias, Hagiazo. All right, same word that's used here. Holiness or sanctification does not consist in mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervors, or uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. How do we know what God thinks? How do we know what He wills? Huh? Huh? Yeah, there you go. Scripture. Preach it. <laughs> yes, it's through Scripture. That's how we know. Further, Swindoll quoted Chuck Colson, who said these words, Holiness is the everyday business of every Christian. It evidences itself in the decisions we make and the things we do hour by hour, day by day. Amen and amen to that. And so what we see here in this passage of Scripture is care and concern Jesus had for His men as He prayed for them. They were in earshot of this prayer. They heard Him pray for them, proclaiming their salvation. I mean, just think about that for a moment. If you were there, hearing Him claim to the Father that... They had been given to the Son. That you had been chosen. That you had true faith. That you kept His word. Oh, it would would, would encourage your heart. It should encourage your heart. As it did them. He proclaimed their salvation. And therefore, He petitioned for their security. Because they belonged to them. No one was going to separate them from the love of Christ. No one could pluck them out of the Father's hand. And he prayed for their sanctification. Oh my, (laughs) that really sums up everything in our Christian walk. It really does. And so as Jesus prayed for those men, he's praying for us as well. He's interceding for us. I come back to Hebrews 7 and 25. He, speaking of Jesus, always lives to make intercession for us. What love and grace. Yeah, what love and grace. And so may we be reminded of that today. No matter what you are facing in this world, these truths should encourage you. I mean, we're hearing about inflation. (laughs) We're hearing about all the moral issues that are going on out there. There's persecution, people killing one another in schools and those kind of things, and you kind of go, wow. And we seem to hear it every single day. And we can become overcome by it. But when we remind ourselves of these truths, that though we are in the world, we're not of it. This rises us above the circumstances that are around us. And so let us hold on to these things and be encouraged by them. Do you believe that you have everything necessary for life and godliness? Amen. Then you'll take this prayer of Jesus to heart. You really will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning and what a blessing it is to just walk through this passage. Father, as I prayed in the first service, there is so much in this text that we didn't see and yet I know that your people here are grounded in truth. They've heard these truths many times and yet God, just like them, myself as well, it's good to be reminded of these things. We forget them, and yet we live in a lost world, but we're not of it. And so I pray, God, that each and every day these truths would come to the forefront of our minds and put a step, a bounce to our step, spiritually speaking. And may we be found faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.